Welcome to episode 303. What will the future church look like? What will make churches thrive in a post-Christian culture? Well, we can't see the future, but here are five key areas to think about. That's today on The Reclaim Leader. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 303 of The Reclaim Leader. I'm Jason Tucker, back as always with Jesse Skivington. Jesse, how's it going? Pacific Northwest. I bet it's beautiful this time of year, right? It is incredible. This and we, Callie, my wife Callie and I were joking around today that uh, we were like, it was a little cloudy and a little rainy yesterday and this morning, and it was like, wait, that's right. That's where we live. <laughs> right. The long dark of winter is coming. And I think there's something about the short term memory of uh, people who live in the Pacific Northwest. The summers are so incredible. You forget by the time it gets to the fall, the pain and suffering of the long, dark and dreary winter. But anyway, so it is beautiful. Yeah. Getting some time with family and getting ready for school to start back up and all those things as, as so many, I'm sure uh, that are listening are kind of heading towards the fall here. And you know, what can you do? Yeah, big time. Hey, I was curious. Did you watch the uh, the Netflix quarterback uh, show? It's like followed three professional uh, Patrick Mahomes, um, yeah, a couple of guys. You, you didn't I see that seen one? It so yet. okay. Oh, good? So yeah. Marcus Mariota is one of the quarterbacks. Oh, okay. You yeah. you know him well, uh, being yeah. a Huskies. Uh, yeah, he's kind of yeah. part of the enemy territory there, but he seems like a nice enough guy. So, so his I, part of the story was their team, as they were getting ready to play Seattle, had to practice in the stadium. The Huskies play, oh, and he yeah. was beside himself. He he couldn't. <laughs> he he didn't could barely bring it. himself to do it. Yeah, but they <laughs> yeah, were the showing Oregon panoramics of the Pacific Northwest, and I was like, oh my god! Like my jaw was dropping at the. It's a beautiful there, place. Really, yeah. yeah, if you've never been, I know there's kind of some craziness that happens in the Seattle, Portland, you know, in the news media, but it is, it is a unique place in the world. So if you ever get a chance to come hike in the mountains of this Pacific Northwest or just enjoy it, it's, it's incredible. So, yeah, man. And get a couple of drinks and Jesse, you tell all about his Bigfoot story. So yeah, you, you know, Bigfoot, I don't know. We can get into that another time, but I do have my, I do have my stories. So. No, that's awesome. But Hey, I uh, hope everyone out there that you're having a great summer and I know it's coming to a close and everything's starting to ramp up. Certainly here at Tower Hill, things are ramping up. We, we've been in the process all summer long of getting some work done on our facilities. Uh, it was part of a capital campaign, and so uh, today we've got people painting the outside of the ha- of the of the uh, sanctuary. They are up in the balcony with the sound companies here running wires. Construction is finishing in there, and now in our pre-K room, construction painting and a shrink wrap thing on the walls, and then. Uh, there's like another project going on. I think they're starting to pave the cracks in the pavement outside. It's like a flurry of activity. So it lets it, me know it's Lots almost go time. It's almost go time. Yeah. And, uh, and then of course there's, there's the ministry. There's mm-hmm. everything going on with getting ready for ministry. And I was having breakfast with a pastor this morning and um, he is, he's seeing a lot of the same things I'm seeing as far as people are so hungry yeah, for sure. For God right now. And they are looking at churches. Listen, I know some of you out there, you feel like we don't get a lot of visitors. Right. I'm telling you, people are looking. And now's the time. If you're ever thinking about implementing change and taking a step to try to reach people, try to reach younger, try to reach people who who gave up church years ago, now's the time. Sure is, yeah. It's raining. Spend the rainy day fund. Get right, yeah. get in there, make it, see what you can do. Because, yeah. man, it is just there aren't enough churches, I feel, even for the people's hunger. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's this wave right now of people going, I've looked in a lot of places for answers and I'm coming up short. And there's just this hunger and that willingness to turn back towards Christ, towards Jesus and go, you know, maybe this is, it was right here all along. And what my hope, my prayer is that we'll meet them with genuine, authentic expressions of the church that are uh, are going to help fill that gap and partner with what God's already doing in their in their lives. And we've we've seen that people are drawn to what is genuine. It doesn't have to be fancy or flashy or or those things. I think there's a, a new opportunity for for churches of all kinds, small, medium sized churches that maybe don't have the resources of the mega church world to create these really incredible whatevers. And yet, if there's authentic, genuine relationship and people there to be with in community and, and to share in that good news of the gospel together, people are drawn to that right now. So I think there's a unique moment for denominational churches of small and medium size to really hit their stride and uh, to, to rise up and meet that need that is is very evident around us. Yeah. And I think for churches, just simply remembering our why, our why to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel yeah. of Jesus and Christ. To remember deeply, to, to know how good the good news is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I was just talking to, did a team sermon with our um, Andrew uh, guy on our staff team last week. And we were just talking about why is, why is the gospel such good news? And how have you experienced it as good, as good in your life, the goodness of God and um, just thinking through some of that, you know, one of the things that hits people the most, I think, is when we think in terms of the gospel, it means that we're not an accident of history. You know, we're not here by some random chance of molecules colliding enough times together that somehow we showed up. Uh, we're, we're here for a reason. There's something meaningful about our, our existence. And so those kinds of things, just kind of reminding ourselves of, of all of that and that our hearts find their true rest, their home when they find their home in the Lord. And that's true for the people outside of the church too. Yeah. And the beating heart of this podcast is all about, and we talked about it before we hit record, it's how do we lead change in these churches that have been doing things the same way forever? I mean, literally for generations, how do we, we're about ready to change the carpet color from the Christian red to something else. Easy now, come on. It may be, it may take every ounce of capital that I've... (laughs) built up to do that. But, but here's the point, the message of Jesus, Jesus never changes. The method is always changing as fast as culture. So we never compromise the truth of Jesus Christ or the gospel, but we're trying to explain it in a way like a Wycliffe Bible translator, trying to make sure that it hits in the language of the people. And that's the piece that the church for a couple generations now has not done a good job of. So what are we talking about, about leading change? I think we're just simply talking about realizing that gift of the Holy Spirit to declare the wonders of God in the language of the people, Acts 2. How do we translate this truth in a way that people are going to understand, younger, especially younger generations? Well, I think it, if you think of it in terms of updating, I mean, our technology, the phones we carry around, they're always updating to the latest security software, the latest whatever it needs to be. And uh, we do that in our homes. We have upgrade our update our decor we update our our, you know the way that things look and feel and and are we doing that from a a programmatic or a system standpoint in our churches are we updating things to keep them current and effective and or are we just continuing to do what we've always done and known to do and i think that's important and if you think about it that way it's it's maybe it's a different posture related to change it's it's changing by by bringing things up to speed with with the times that we live in now and and i think 
you have to get some of that groundwork laid first before that there's going to be a willingness for people to adapt or change that program or that activity that they've loved for generations. And if you don't have a purpose behind that change, if it's just change for change's sake, that's, it's going to be a tough sell. But if there's a compelling reason, then it's worth it. And uh, we'll do a podcast an episode coming up on, are we willing to change? I'm finding it harder to change myself, Jason, you know, the further down the road I get, I go, do we have to change? I mean, it's like, it's, a, it's hard work to change too. So it's, it's exhausting. It's yeah. exhilarating and exhausting. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to talk about some things today that I think are kind of core things, some sort of the reminders, if you will, but they're kind of the core stuff that we need to be thinking about for our churches to be healthy and thriving. And there's always change related to each of those. So tell us kind of where are we going with the episode today and, and what are we going to get into? Yeah, this is part of a project that I was working on. I'm presenting at a at a congregation um, this coming weekend, and they wanted me to put together like what are some key ministry areas for the church of the future, right? Yeah. What do we what do I think according to what I've experienced and what I see in other churches and what I've read? What are some kind of core things? And and the list I came up with, because you know, bloggers and uh podcasters love their lists. The list that I came up with isn't like revolutionary. It's really stuff that we've talked about before in other episodes, but it's a way of just sort of distilling. If I had, if I didn't know what to focus on next in my church, I would pick one of these things if I felt like it wasn't dialed in. So maybe this is a reminder because I know sometimes I know I'll say I know this all too well. Is you feel like there's so much that needs to change, it's oh, it's so overwhelming that you're just paralyzed because you just right. don't know which one to pick. Yeah, and I always tell people just pick one pick because. One. Oh, yeah. I think that's the best wisdom. Standing still will get you nowhere. But there is such thing as choice paralysis. I mean, you can get so many problems in front of you or so many different things to decide about. It actually works against you. So I I love that. Narrowing it down to one thing that you're going to really work on. And the thing about creating a healthy system or or creating change in one area that then is effective is it will have a, a sort of momentum effect or a catalytic effect for change in other areas. People will go, Oh, look at that. We should, we should work on this other piece over here too. So pick one and and let it snowball from there. Yeah. Okay. So here we go. Here's five keys for the future church. The first is probably the most obvious. It's probably the one that you've heard the most about and maybe have lost sleep over. And that is you have, you're going to have to have an engaging multi-generational Sunday experience. Why do I say engaging? Here's, here's where I lose some pastors, they hear that and they're like, that's not, isn't worship for honoring God. What do you mean engaging? What do you mean? Like, like we're all consumers and you have to entertain me. Why do we have to have the fog machines and the light show when mm-hmm. it's really about raising our praise to God? And I would say there is a point in there to be made. Yeah. 100%. We went too far, maybe. I, ha, yes. In the wrong direction. Yep. However, I also think in our culture, the way that our culture is, we are so bombarded with messaging. We are so bombarded with information that in order to capture somebody in the moment, like somebody's full attention to God, we need to be intentional about designing worship services that do that. And I don't think that means we need a disco ball, no. right? Yeah. But we do need to be intentional. Are we are we appealing to, you know, uh, intellectual 
stimuli? Are we appealing to emotional stimuli or without manipulating that without manipulating emotion? Um, You know, it's not one big Sarah McLaughlin commercial and please give. It's not that it's how do we draw you in so that you can let go because people need to be drawn in. It's like, you got to cut through all these layers before they're ready. Mm-hmm. And and it's a dance. It's a partnership between us and God. Yes, all of our praise is rightly directed to God. And, and God fills us and fuels us. But there is a performative element in it that if I drone on on a 40-minute sermon that has no emotional ups and downs, it's not going to matter how much truth I tell. Nobody's going to listen. There is a performative aspect to it that you just can't get around. I don't think there's anything less spiritual about that per se. Yeah. And I think we could, we want to set people up for success. You know, that, I mean, isn't that, if, if we're going to share a message that we feel the Lord has put on our heart to share, let's do it in a way that people can engage with and understand and connect to and go, oh, now I, now I see, now I get it. And yeah. I don't think that, I think that means there's a, yes, a performative aspect to keeping it engaging. But I think a lot of that happens in the preparation room too. Yes. Like, let me think this through. Let, let me really wrestle with this and get to some good application and some, some, a, a really good illustration that will cap, capture people's hearts and minds and imaginations or, or whatever. And um, let me preach in a way that's respectable and, and presents the gospel as desirable and believable. And it's deep and wide. And, 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 you know, Andy Sandy uses those words. I like that. But how do we do how do we do that in a well-rounded way throughout the whole of our Sunday morning experience? You know, yes. so in the parking lot, when people come, did we expect that people were going to be here? And is that obvious in the way that we've kind of set things up? And and when people walk through the doors with kids in tow, is it obvious where they're supposed to take their kids and uh, how they're supposed to engage and what, what comes next? And so I think when you're talking about having a, a multi-generational experience that's engaging, you're trying to think not in terms of being fancy or flashy or all of a sudden you're a Taylor Swift concert because none of us can pull that off. Exactly. But are we thinking it through and preparing for our guests and for those who will come in a way that shows that we're ready to be hospitable. It's credible because we've thought it through. We minimize the cringy moments. Uh, and all, if you want to know about the cringy moments in your worship service, just ask a couple people and they'll, they'll tell you. And those are hard things to hear sometimes, but are we, are we setting people up for success and are we, are we setting ourselves up to for success and partnering with what God's already doing in their hearts and lives? And, uh, you know, it's like well, a team. Also, isn't it honoring God more to give it our very best effort Absolutely. to be yeah. clear and compelling in our presentation yeah. of the gospel? I, th- I think, you know, think about um, the way that God works and there's supernatural things God does. He speaks to people's hearts He moves people and, he, and God, the Holy Spirit can do whatever. Right. That that's but then there also is just the ordinary means of grace that God works through ordinary stuff like our preparation and uh, painting the building and, and making sure the parking lot lines are painted so people know where to park. Like God works through those things, too. So um, yeah. anyway, we're getting a little preachy about all this. But well, you get, well, it it's, I'm very passionate about yeah, it because yeah. this is and this, frankly, is what ha- God has used to turn around our church yeah. from a church that was in steep decline very much stuck in a, in a former way of doing church that wasn't reaching younger generations. And it was the whole reason I was hired was because I I just, I don't know, there's a switch in me that I can't turn off. Yeah. You're willing to lead in that direction. I translate it. 
Yeah, it was going to be hard. And that kind of change is hard. And as a pastor or as a group of church leaders, are we willing to do that? And if you came to Tower Hill or Marine View, or at least I'll speak from Marine View, you're, you're not going to encounter a fancy worship service. I mean, it's simple. No, we're not. The structure North is very or basic, or, yeah. but we've thought through all the elements and how they're, what, what kind of cohesive experience are they creating for that day that are, it hopefully uh, helps people to engage with the Lord in, in a deeper way or um, find community or whatever it's going to be. So um, anyway, so I, I think we have to be, as church leaders, we have to stop and get honest with ourselves about how is it actually going in our Sunday worship services and stop playing the blame game of, well, you know, that church down the road, they, they, they're not really worshiping God. They're putting on a show or what, they're putting like, on a show, forget yeah. them, do whatever you do, you the way that you know how to do it and honor God that way. But also it's be wise and evaluate how it's going really and yeah. go, how can we do this in a more engaging way? Yeah. The goal Here's what I think the goal is to create compelling, engaging, and safe environments. And we're talking mm-hmm. about physically, emotionally, spiritually, communally, mm-hmm. both online and in person. How are we creating those environments? How are we getting people to get into proximity, not just in rows, but in circles? How are we creating a space for people all over the faith map to feel yeah. like they belong? Yeah. Um, without compromising the truth of Jesus Christ either. Well, and I think sometimes, Jason, one of the challenges is if you've only ever been in a church that is done it one way or a certain way, it's hard to get a vision for what it even looks like without going to like the extreme version of it, you know, in in the non-denominational megachurch land or something. And I think there are all kinds of really healthy, uh, vibrant expressions of worship in the denominational world if that's where you are, that I think are engaging and compelling and rooted in, in our history, our traditions and, and things like that. So there's a way to, to do it well without having to become like, you know, mega church land out there. So, so example, um, let's just talk real quick about preaching. Mm-hmm. TED talks are 18 minutes. Why? Cause that's the optimal amount of time for, to hold our attention in a really compelling, riveting talk. You ever watch TED talks, man? Those are so dialed in. I wish I could say that I did that preaching every week. I'm not even close to that polished. Yeah. And well, they got one talk that they do again and again and again and again. Yeah, absolutely. So cheating, but yeah, fair enough. But it's a great reminder. And they're using multimedia. They're using video. They're using compelling images. That's They're doing everything they can to get you to engage in the subject so that you're fully present. Mm-hmm. I think if we just try to trend in that direction in our preaching, it's going to make a big difference because the world became visual visual learners. And I think what we do visually matters, even for what we say orally. Yeah. I had a woman come up after the service this last Sunday and uh, we did it. I did a team sermon, as I mentioned, and um, and we were going back and forth. But everything on the screen was keeping up with our conversation. And we had prepared, we had worked through it ahead of time and all that. And so it came across as very relational and interactional and almost uh, off the cuff, but it wasn't. I mean, that kind of uh, effort that we put in ahead of time was what led to that experience in the moment. And she was like, how did they keep everything on the screens? And you guys were just talking and all the quotes and the points were up there. And it was like, how did you do that? And I said, it, it took a lot of preparation ahead of time to make it seem seamless and easy in, in the, in the room, but to have not only what you're presenting, but then everything kind of corresponding to that in a, in a multimedia way, I think 
it deepens understanding and helps people connect with what you're talking about. So yeah. anyway, and, this wasn't supposed to be an episode about preaching, <laughs> and it's, but, but it's I so think, important. I think it's okay to camp out here for a minute. Cause yeah. I think some, some pastors might be, okay, what is it that makes a service compelling besides a, a light show and, you know, a rockin' band or, yeah. or all of that. And I think, I think you can have really good preaching, even if the music's okay. Yeah. I think uh, the preaching, it's amazing how the Lord uses that. So I think always encourage pastors, think about using sermon series. Even if you're a lectionary preacher, how, do, how can you, you could turn that into a sermon series easily or two. Um, how do you make it accessible and practical? How do you help share it in a way? We just talked about this last episode. This is how Jesus taught, right? It's about landing it in real life. How do you land theology in real life for people? Mm-hmm. Don't assume knowledge. You got to make sure that you explain and unpack even basic theological terms or biblical ideas, and then always connect the dots to Jesus. That's just preaching, right? That's how you can make it more compelling, engaging. Um, and maybe that's the place to start. Maybe yeah. that's, you know, that's if the you're part we can control the quickest. don't have the music, you know, capacity to pull off whatever you think is a, whatever the changes you need there, we'll start with preaching. That is something, if you're a pastor listening, you have direct control over that. And I would say one potential step to take to change your approach to preaching is to think further out on what you're going to talk on and then create a small group of people to engage with that text on or that sermon topic three weeks ahead of time and say, Hey, this is what I'm preaching on. Can you help me research and think about this passage or something? And, you know, who knows what opportunities might come. So maybe that's and the I'll, one. Then I'll say one, uh, one more thing about the music. If you are going to be, you may be in a small church that's going to try some blend in music. And I would say that's fine. If you're at a point where you feel like you want to launch another service, that's totally different. Mm-hmm. I always encourage you to give that a shot. If you feel like you have the, the bandwidth and the momentum and, and the people to do it, that may be a second step, but I would say it's, and I'm just going to say this, typically you're going to need to hire a different music director than the one that you have. I don't say replace your director. I mean, add an additional person to lead the music who is a native to whatever style of worship you're doing. You're doing a jazz service, hire a jazz musician. Uh, you're doing a contemporary service, hire a contemporary worship leader. Here's why. You need somebody who lives and breathes the language, like that's their love language, is that music? It's why uh, Karen and I went to go see Guns N' Roses. Uh, she had never seen them. They came to our area. We're like, let's go. It'll be our anniversary gift. And it was really funny how old the crowd was, funny and depressing. But uh, at one point, uh, the guitarist Slash just riffs into a classical piece of music. Now, he can play it. But that's not his love language. And to classical people, they're not going to accept a guitar piece from Slash playing classical. Why? He's just not the right person for that. I think there's something to be said for that in worship. Your traditional director is probably great at what they do, and they can musically play contemporary music. But if they can't live and breathe it, it's never going to sell. Right? It's not going to feel authentic enough. You need someone who's really speaking that language. That's I just going to throw that out there. Yeah, I think that's wise. And they can provide some umbrella leadership over the whole team if you want or yeah. whatever. But, you know, it's about setting your people up for success and, and working within their strengths. So, yeah, I'm with you on all that. So an engaging multi-generational worship experience or, or Sunday morning experience across the board. Where do, what, what next? What else? 
So the second is a vibrant next generation engagement, right? So how do we engage the next gen? Um, Gen Z, born 1997 to 2012, and Gen A or Alpha that they're calling this generation that's born all the way up to 2023. How do we reach out to them? A few episodes back, we did a deep dive into the generations. But you know, just remembering, if this generation is digital in their DNA, right? They're digital natives. It's the way they experience the world. It's how they learn, connect, find identity. It's how they're entertained. Uh, this generation is very future-focused. We talked about that. We talked about the effects of the pandemic on this generation, how they had to deal with issues like trust and communication and self-image and mental health. Uh, talking about the fact that they have traditional values that come out in non-traditional ways. Uh, and they're very quick to take a stand on things. They want to go and make their voice heard on issues that, of justice that they perceive. And then they crave community. I talked about that example of a college student who said, I'd rather go to a church where I can get discipled than where I can hear a great sermon. Uh, even though she's like, I love great sermons, don't get me wrong, but I'd rather, I'd rather get discipled. They, they're craving that community and that one-on-one connection in a church. This next generation has so many challenges. I was just having lunch uh, with a church member today, and he's just like, I, I couldn't imagine having to grow up now. <laughs> I, mean, th- I mean, everything is on camera. Um, he's like, when I, was, when I was bummed because nobody invited me to the party that I h- had to hear about in school on Monday morning, I didn't have to look at pictures in real time to know, yeah. remind well, me that I wasn't there. Yeah, ouch. You know, like, yeah. this, this is the next generation. And so how... How do we engage? Future churches are going to have to be able to engage this generation well. And we always land back with that book, that great book, Growing Young, which just really had a lot of helpful things in it. I want to encourage you to read it uh, if you haven't already. But it's just basically the next generation's craving authentic connection. Warm yeah. is the new cool. Can your church yeah. be warm to younger yeah. generations? Yeah, that you hear those words, and if you if, take the time to pick up that book and read it, it, it's it's worth it. Because I think sometimes if you're you don't have a big youth group or you don't have a big children's ministry or something, you're like, well, that's what other churches do. That's just not us. But what what we found are examples in that book of churches of all sizes and shapes that figured out how to be warm with young families and their their kids and that makes a huge difference and it leads to something over time so warm is the new cool that should be good news for all of us who are in more you know denominational or more established churches because that is something that we do have to offer genuine authentic warm relationship we we're glad you're here and we mean it so um yeah i think that's the best starting point of all is just creating that that uh, authentic welcome to to uh, young families and their kids and their and teenagers when they show up. It is. And I would also say this, if you are a church and you really don't have any kids, teenagers aren't the ones to sort of build a program off of. Right. But there is a hack that I have noticed, especially in today's day and age, that almost all of our high school students around the country have some sort of uh, service hours requirement. Mm-hmm. What we can pitch to these students is you get all your, all your service hours done and have a great time. Go on a mission trip with us. Yeah. And they, and they're brand new to church. And what happens is they have a great experience. So we use, uh, we've used group work camps for years and years and years. It's a plug and play mission trip. You, you know, you get everyone to pay the money or you raise the money and, and then you go and they have everything laid out for you. Yeah. 
You don't even have to do the program. And they're not paying me. I just, listen, I, I, I love the <laughs> camps. It, you know? I met sure. my wife at one of those camps. We were both on staff. It wasn't, yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, but that's a way, then what happens is then you invite them back to the church. Hey, the, the work camp group's going to get together next month. We're going to have just a barbecue. And you start to slowly build a core of kids based on on the mission or the service hours and because parents will force their kid to go to get the service hours done and the kids end up having a great time that's just sort of a teenager hack you don't have more you know many teenagers around yeah and if you're gonna go you know put some resources you talked about a rainy day fund you know if you've been setting some something aside as a church for a while like this is something to push some resources in toward whether it's through a staff member or, or an environment that you're going to create. So, but remember, we're not asking you to do all these things all at once, right? So no, this is just a list one. of possible things. You know, this, to, is, this is yeah. one of, of, of a few things you could start with. And depending on your community and who is around you, you know, that might be the right choice, or maybe you should start somewhere else. But um, we got to think in terms of the next generation. Otherwise, what, what are we doing? What are we doing indeed? Yeah. What, what are good doing? are all of our traditions if there's no one in the room to hand them to? Right. Yeah. Okay. Number three on the list of needs or keys for the future church is clear and robust discipleship. And this is a struggle for churches in the main line yeah. uh, because discipleship for many in the main line is a combination of faithful attendance and volunteerism. Mm-hmm. And that equals my growth in Jesus Christ. And now certainly it can aid you in that growth, but it, that's not the same thing as uh, walking the way of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. as we learn from the Mandalorian, yeah. the great theological wow. show, <laughs> right? It's one thing to believe in the way. Right. It's another thing to walk the way. Yeah. Well, and, and I think we, we yeah. discovered some hard truths, those of us who work in the church world and maybe as pastors or whatever, looking at the pandemic and the way that people's faith and theology just like went crazy and, 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 and how things were expressed and one person was reflecting people are more disciples of the politician that they voted for than they are the savior who died on the cross for them or some version of that. And sort of, I think our discipleship was shown to be pretty thin or, and in the sense of is, are we helping people to, to really take steps across the whole of their life to know and follow Jesus in deeper ways. And that can look like small groups or community groups. It can look like some one-on-one or two-on-one discipling kinds of relationships and Certainly, I think what's important, at least for us, a realization we had, um, you know, a number of years ago now was that there's not a discipleship program of the church. All of it's discipleship. Yeah. All of it is. So whether you're serving or you're giving or you're attending or you're engaging or you're uh, in a group and you're studying scripture and uh, you're in a one-on-one relationship with someone and learning from them or mentoring somebody else, all of that's discipleship. All of it's learning to live out of our, our life as followers of Jesus. And our discipleship doesn't end at the doors of the church or the programs of the church. It's everything always, all the time. It's who we are. It's our identity. So I think we have, if that's not part of the conversation in your congregation, how are we helping people take steps, tangible steps or yeah. spiritual steps to grow? Like that needs to be part of the conversation as you're leading. Yeah. How do we help? I, I think the key is helping our congregations understand discipleship as apprenticeship, yeah, not as simply head knowledge. Because for a lot of folks, it's like, well, I, what's the next Bible study that's going to get me to the next level of my faith? Right. And they don't realize that they probably know plenty yeah, because they've been to every Bible study that we've done. It's now applying it, getting out there, doing it, 
loving people, teaching people, taking positions of leadership, helping them to understand that. So we have a little bit of a discipleship dilemma, I think, at least in mainline American congregations. Mm -hmm. And what I think the future church is really going to have to do well is to help apprentice people on the way, give some, kind of make it high touch, um, Mm -hmm. get, you know, one-on-one relationships. Small groups is a nice way of doing it only because then you get uh, you, you have more capacity, more than just one-on-one relationships you have now. Well, and it uh, cascades over into other five on one, ten on pastoral one, yeah. care and other spots yeah. too, where we're looking out for each other. So yeah. groups is a great way. And I do think, you know, maybe one of the, the things that I've discovered is that sometimes the best discipleship that people have experienced has happened before they get to Marine View from somewhere else. Yeah, And I like, so tell me what that was like. And they come in with these great spiritual disciplines or a heart to serve or a generous, you know, spirit of giving. And you go, how did you get there? And they talk about their church experience somewhere and, and help me understand what it was like. What was the environment of disciple making like? So you can learn from people that are coming from other places that are exhibiting sort of the fruit of, of good discipleship. And you go, hey, help me understand or learn how did you get to this place? Cause you're, you yeah. seem mature in your faith and, and, and all of that. And I want to help others get there too. So you don't necessarily even have to be the expert all the time. You can learn from, from others that are exhibiting that. So. Absolutely. And, and I think maybe as a starting place, if you're thinking about, Hey, Oh, Hey, you know what, this is an area now that you mentioned it, that I think we want to focus on. Start by asking three questions. The first question is just as a church, as a leadership, what do you believe about spiritual growth? That helps define, get your theology, right? Because I think once you have that, then you can move to the next two. Then the next question is, how do you talk about spiritual growth with the congregation or with the elders or whoever you're talking to? What's the language that we use? What's the shared language that we want to build about spiritual growth or discipleship? And then how do you actually cultivate spiritual growth, right? This reveals what your strategy is. And you can, your strategy can be all sorts of things. It's probably going to be multi-layered. It's going to include one-on-one. It's going to include small groups, missions, leadership, um, so on and so forth. But I think this is a good place to really define and figure out because for a lot of our Christians in our pews, discipleship, again, just isn't as robust as it needs to be. Yeah, that's good. Good stuff, Jason. I love it. All right. Uh, number four, outward-facing evangelism. Outward facing evangelism. So um, I say outward facing. Let me explain it here. So, you know, we basically, you turn on the news and it's one dumpster fire after another. <laughs> after another. It's just like, there's nothing good. I swear on the news. And then at the, then at the end, they show like a squirrel water skiing or something. I'm trying to, <laughs> try to erase all the horrors. That's right. Um, there was uh, Ed Stetzer who wrote Christians in the Age of Outrage. Uh, in his book, he reminds us of 2015. Remember the controversy with the Starbucks Christmas cups? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for those who don't remember, uh, that year is when they just put plain red cups for Christmas. And uh, this guy, Joshua Feuerstein, Feuerstein, I'm not sure how to say it. Uh, Basically, he put this on Facebook. He said, Starbucks removed Christmas, all caps, from their cups because they hate Jesus. (laughs) And this, this like went crazy, went viral. And just think about it this way. This is a quote from Ed, this is Ed Stetzer. He says, can you imagine the conversation in the Starbucks boardroom? Did they say those Christians are fair-minded, gracious, and thoughtful? I am guessing not. Yeah. And it's not even true. Starbucks had never put Merry Christmas on their cups. 
but outrage overwhelms truth. Yep. So, so here's the point. In this age of outrage that we're in, I think our evangelism has to be outward facing in the sense that we've we've got to think in the needs of the people hearing it before we just unleash. You could have truth with no love <laughs> that we all seem to be pretty good at or be like Jesus with truth and love. When we're thinking about outward facing evangelism, we're thinking about not our agenda or our timetable, but God's timetable and agenda in their lives. Yeah, I think that's a really good image. Uh, remember my dad's uh, network of churches my dad was connected to, they thought in terms of shifting the focus outward from inward. And they talked about from arrows pointing in at the needs and concerns and desires of the people who are already here to the, what they called arrows out. Let's think in terms of living out into the community, understanding the needs, concerns, pain points, frustrations longings of the community around us and how can we serve them how can we love them and in loving them maybe they'll take a step towards jesus so thinking in terms of like how do we turn the focus from in on ourselves and that inward stuff and if you want to you know just let's be frank one of the reasons so many churches stagnate and begin to decline is because the focus is internal what do i want what do i want my service to look like what do i want my teaching to sound like what do i want my whatever to be like. And we forget that we're called to go into the world and, and love people there. And so when we become disconnected from that missionary calling or that outward focused uh, uh, approach, we become insular and suffocate and we'll, yeah. we'll die. No matter how big or vibrant of a church you were, the minute you turn in on yourself, it's just a, a matter of how long. I'm always reminded, and not in a good way, of how many things we do just inside our own building without leaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And honestly, it troubles me. This is, so this is an area that I want our church to work on more and more, which did I, t- I see I'm getting to the point where I can't remember what stories I told, <laughs> but did I, did we talk about uh, this last round of beach baptisms on the podcast yeah. that we did? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. And, and, and there was a woman at the end who wanted to join in. Yeah, and, that and you only were there at the beach. Exactly, that only happens yeah. by leaving, yeah. going out there and and giving opportunity for people to interact with you. Exactly, and yeah. in, in a really kind of positive and you know accepting kind of way. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's really spot on, and I think it's always a a, a place of growth. You know, we we gather, and we should do an awesome job when we gather, and that and I mean that's that honors God too, and honors each other. And then we scatter. I mean, it's the, we all know that. I mean, this is not, but the, that, the leaving part, are we equipping our people and are we being, even in our organized life together as a church, is there a strategic going out that is connected to us beyond sending mission dollars to organizations? Do we really yeah. have a focus outward? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, evangelism at its heart is an invitation to relationship. Yeah. So pick something like, yeah. you know, we have a, a thing here, Turkey trot, it's called. I'm sure there's a million Turkey trots all over the United States. And one of the opportunities is let's go in and hand out water bottles to the Turkey trotters running their, you know, their 5k on Thanksgiving morning, like be in your community, find things that your community is already doing and say, Hey, how can we help make it better or serve in that in some way there? Yeah. And then everybody wears their Marine view t-shirts and smiles and and cheers people on, right? And we're we're not trying to do anything weird. We're just part of the community, and and we want you to know we're we're rooting for you. Yeah. And again, uh, glad you're here. Craig Allen Cooper's book so is good. a great yeah. read in this area. Uh, episodes two fifty and two fifty one, which were some of our most listened to episodes ever. So you may want to go back and listen to those if you want to 
a little deeper dive. Okay, lastly, but not least, I know uh, we're kind of running close on time. Flexible systems. Number five is you got to have flexible systems. You got to be able to pivot. If it's one thing we learned from the pandemic, you got to be able to pivot. But I think this becomes a strength of the church in the future, not just uh, something we had to do, but something that is going to make us better as churches. And, you know, I know some churches, what they really need to do is get rid of their buildings and they need to rent a more affordable space and not have to worry about the $5,000 boiler that's going to go next week. They need to they need to get rid of that albatross and they need to free up some capital and uh, and, and do something different. Listen, we got to get more flexible. Let's talk, though, to just our mainline brothers and sisters who we get you. We're swimming in your waters. The one thing is a couple of things about flexible systems is polity. Mm-hmm. So a healthy polity should set resource and equip frontline ministry. It shouldn't micromanage it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. It's is- so crucial, Jason. We could, we let's do, a, let's come back to that topic in another episode, but it's so vital. We have to make sure that we trust people to make decisions throughout our organization that are appropriate to the level that they're at. And we say, we really do trust you. We just had our, our building a grounds team come to our session with a a project they want to do that was more money than I would have wanted to spend. And and yet they've said, no, this is an urgent priority. Here's why. And I was so proud of our team. Nobody wanted to go back and relitigate the decision and try to understand all that. What we said, no, we trust our team and we're going to go with your recommendation because we would rather do that than give you the, 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 you know, the, the experience of being micromanaged to death. And so, yeah, yeah entrust decision-making at the appropriate levels throughout your organization and, Stop deciding at your board or your session meetings everything that happens in the life of the church. It's just going to derail so much. Yeah. Uh, And then a real quick note about giving. Electronic Mm -hmm. giving is going to become the norm, not not the extra. No, it it already is the norm. And it's already, it's years now. So I would say on a given Sunday right now, we have maybe 5 to 10% of our monthly giving comes in on a Sunday morning. In, yeah. in person giving, if that. Yeah, ours Almost is probably less. Is online giving, in recurring gifts and those things. Um, and Or people mailing a check, you know, direct bill pay from their bank to the church office, those kinds of things. And this is something that is just, it's just part of the world we live in. It's how people are used to engaging. And so we, um, I think we've talked about this, but one thing we added back in, we don't cl- send an offering plate around anymore. So People are, we're missing it in the context of worship. So we added back in a prayer for our tithes and offerings. And we just say, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to partner with you. And and this is an act of worship, whether we gave online or in person or whatever. This is our way of participating in your work here. So thank you. And would you bless these resources for your work in this world and, and through us? And so I think you can still have the worship moment of tithes and offerings and giving but leverage and use to your, you know, it, it wisely use the resource of online giving and other things that are available out there. Yeah. Um, also, I would say a third thing about flexible systems is your leadership structure should be clear and efficient. Everyone should know what the structure looks like, who's responsible for what decision and in the flow of it. So we always say, um, and I, we picked this up from someone else. I remember where, but uh, staff-led, elder-governed, people-gifted. Yeah. Staff-led, elder-governed, people-gifted. 
and it yeah. helps us understand the flow of decision making. And and so just just so everyone's on the same page, honestly, that was most of the battle. Just making sure everybody understood together what we meant, yeah. because uh, not surprisingly, it was yeah. just complete confusion in some in some cases in the yeah. past. I would say one of the primary reasons many nonprofits struggle or fail is because of a lack of cohesive organizational management. I mean, it is not a fun thing to work on job descriptions and org charts and all that. But if you do that well, you don't have to be sort of this rigorous, like super whatever controlled kind of thing. It can be a living thing, but it's, it's vital to get that that relationship right. So I do think I keep hitting on this, but I, I think I want to circle back around to this in another episode where yeah. we're going to talk how do we how do we do decision making at what levels and how is the staff related to the session and the pastor and all that because I do think there's so much value there if you can just tweak that yeah uh, and get that line right and we're that's going to make such a huge difference in your abilities to and move, maybe we'll break it down like, and we'll get kind of grand in the weeds on it and yeah. just talk about how we sort of made shifts and what we yeah did really right. everything you've mentioned today all five of these things. We could do probably two or three episodes on each yeah. one because there's just so much there. So I'm really grateful for these five that you mentioned, just as kind of jogging our memory, you know, hopefully, or maybe this is new, but uh, those are kind of key areas to focus in on. If you pick one and start working on it, it's it's going to have an immediate impact, but it's also going to have a catalytic or a sort of a carry on effect of, of starting to impact those other areas too. And then you can you know, get one ready to go and, and move in and you'll start to see an opportunity to, to start chipping away at another one of those. Yeah. Well, Hey everyone, I hope this has been helpful for you as you're thinking about things to, to work on and get ready for the fall. It's not just about figuring out, um, you know, what you're going to preach on. It's figuring out what's, what's the Lord really bubbling up to the surface for you and your people. What's an area that you feel can use some attention? Maybe it's one of these five, maybe it's something else, but I just want to encourage you to follow it. I know that it gets tiring and I know that the tyranny of putting something together every Sunday gets to be a lot in the midst of your busy life and all of the demands on it. But honestly, it's worth it. It's worth the work. And I think what you'll find is everything else starts to kind of fall in line when you really get a very clear sense of direction and momentum. So I hope it's helpful for all of you uh, pastors. I know it's helpful for me and I know we're working on evangelism right now. So uh, anything else before we wrap up this, this this is a longer one. Sorry, everyone. Yeah, it's good. We've got a little preachy and a little talky there, but it all matters. (laughs) Hopefully there's some nuggets in there for everybody, but no, I'm just uh, grateful for the conversations as always, Jason. And if, if you ever want to reach out to us to go a little deeper on any of these or just Sometimes it's nice to have somebody outside of your organization to just talk shop with. We're always up for that. Jason or Jesse at reclaimleader.com. Send us an email or hit us up on, on our Facebook page or whatever, and uh, we'll, we'll follow up. We love talking shop with pastors and church leaders, so we'd love to have those conversations. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everyone. As we say, ministry is hard. It is so much better when we do it together.